This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of February 5th through 9th, 2024. And it's the Champions Wild Card Group 2. But before we get into their games, let's check in. How are you doing, Kyle? Doing all right. Just <clears throat> getting into the new job and making it through this part of the year. But yeah, not not a lot going on. Uh, yeah, not much to report. Just kind of trying to establish routines now that a job has started and work has become a little bit more stable trying to navigate the both myself and my wife are working from home and which one of us mm-hmm. is in charge of the child that is also at home half the day mm. while both of us have work that we need to do. Yeah. Uh, which is fun. Super fun. Great. Mm-hmm. But other than that, going okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I am coming to you from Maine today. My sister had a baby, a baby Z, and uh, I came up here to help out with newborn stuff. So I'm recording in a hotel room. Took a little break from that to come do this. (laughs) Baby Z is adorable. They're so tiny. Oh. They're five days old. Little little baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So babies are cute, but that's not what we're here to talk about. So that's our other podcast. Yes. (laughs) We rate babies. (laughs) They're all good babies. Monday, February 5, we have the first quarterfinal game of Champions Wildcard Group 2. And the contestants are Jesse Chin, an accounting director from Bayside, New York. Mira Hayward, a podcast host from Portland, Oregon. I need to look up what her podcast is. And Kate Campolietta, a corporate communications specialist from lovely Simsbury, Connecticut. My grandparents lived Right near there. And the Jeopardy round categories are historical American currency, two actors, one TV show, lakes and rivers, the air you breathe. It looks like R, A R E, but it's all words that contain the letters A R E in that order. It's giving and tools. The $600 level of tools was a triple stumper. Used on bolts or screws, metric hex keys are known by this letter, their shape. And, and apparently it's an L. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever heard them referred to that way. Yeah. A I mean, or an Allen wrench? Or an Allen wrench. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever heard them called an L. Oh, what? L key? L, L something? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you'd call it because I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I've never heard it, it must be wrong, is what I'm saying. I mean, they're L-shaped. I mean, I also haven't heard it, but I was like, you know, I was like, obviously L, because, Right. They, they are L-shaped, sure, but also are known by this letter. Like, yeah. hand me those L's. I don't think I would, you know, <laughs> I don't think I'd find myself doing that. Yeah. Although, I guess if I were to say that, my four-year-old would know what to look for. If I were to mm-hmm. say, hand me that Allen wrench, she would be like who's Alan? And I'd be like, no one, never mind. Yeah. 
I think dads are legally obligated to make the joke about the th- the thing at the thousand dollar level of tools. It's not a magnetic tool to help you detect a virile man, but rather it's namesake mm-hmm. item as well as nails hidden within a wall. He got that one as a stud finder or stud detector. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I Has a dad ever <clears throat> taken out that item and not pointed it at himself and said, beep, 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 beep. beep. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I don't think so. No, I'm pretty sure. I, don't, I would say I'm pretty sure it's in the instructions for a stud finder yeah. to do that, but we never read mm-hmm. the instructions. So like, mm-hmm. how would we know? Mm-hmm. It is in the dad handbook, though. Yeah, I figured it probably always, was. Always talked about. Yeah. I definitely have. Everybody's favorite historical... American, I guess, the thousand dollar level of uh, historical American currency. This Treasury Secretary under Lincoln put his own mug on the first one dollar bill seven years before Washington appeared on one. That's Salmon P. Chase. I didn't know that particular fact about Salmon P. Chase. I don't. I didn't remember that he was on the one dollar bill. But hmm. he does have one of the best names in American history. He really does. So it's good to remember Salmon P. Chase, Treasury mm-hmm. Lincoln, Salmon P. Chase. All right, Daily Double number one is in the air you breathe at the $1,000 level. Pick number 13, Mira finds it. She is at 3,000. Kate's at 4,400. Jesse's at 200. She bets it all. Gets the clue, Ruffles and Flourishes is one of these short pieces of music played prior to Hail to the Chief for the President. And she doesn't know. She guesses what are flair, which fits the category. But it is a fanfare. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Kate is at 4,400. Mira's down at 200. Jesse's at 2,600. Double Jeopardy categories are British literature, nothing but mammals, some lazy words, tricks of the showbiz trade, single named singers, and final resting places. Mm-hmm. I was surprised nobody got... It was the very first pick of the round, the $1,600 level of British literature. A man stopped on his way to a wedding feast is told of tragic events aboard a ship in the 1798 narrative poem that is The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yes. Yeah. That reminded me I've never actually read it and should probably do so. Yeah, you should read it. Tricks of the Showbiz Trade at the $1,600 level was not incorrect, but was a weird clue. Film composers sync their scores using this measurement that's also big in EDM. 60 goes well with the slow scene. 140 is more pumped. Mira got it. That's BPM or beats per minute. I mean, nearly every type of music uses beats per minute. Any type of music that uses a beat Uh requires beats per minute. Now, there are some that don't, right? Free jazz notably does not use a discernible beat. Some traditional forms from various parts of the world don't really think about beat in the same way, so you don't really measure it in that sort of way. But like most of the music we encounter uses BPM and film composers, of course, they they do that. Yes, but like it's it's more than (laughs) I don't know. It may seem really simplistic. Like, yeah, I have looked into film composition quite a bit and it's like. It's more than beats per minute. It's like, it's much more what's going on on screen, right? It's not just, all right, I need to fill four minutes and 27 seconds, so I will measure it out this way. It's like, you just write to the scene. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that was was a weird clue. All right. Daily Double number two is in some lazy words. 
at the $1,600 level. Mira finds it at pick number three. She's at $1,800 at this point with Kate at $4,400 and Jesse at $2,600. And she makes it a true daily double and she gets the clue. A prefix meaning bad begins this word for feigning illness in order to avoid work. And she gets it correct. It is malingering. And daily double number three is in nothing but mammals. It is at the $1,200 level. Also pick number 12. And Jesse finds this one. He's at $1,800. Kate's at $7,200. Mira's at $5,600. Wagers the maximum of $2,000. And gets the clue. These Pacific pinnipeds got their name from the roars they emit while defending their harems. And he guesses what is the lion seal? Well, he just says the lion seal, not what is. But it's sea lions and can remind yeah. him to remember his phrasing. And after that, mm-hmm. I don't know, Jesse seemed to he seemed to be less serious after that moment. <laughs> I think he was like, well, all right, that's it. Yeah. So Mira just her her line on the game dynamics graph is, you know, it's great. She just climbs into the sky. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the double jeopardy round, Mira has a lock with 16,400. Kate is at eight thousand jesse's at 1800 the final jeopardy category is world flags and the clue is the flag of this asian nation features part of a world heritage site built in the 12th century jesse wrote what is congratulations mira that's nice and we drew zero dollars yeah yeah kate wrote what is cambodia that is correct and a shout out to her nana and a little heart and also a zero dollar wager and mira also got it correct with what is cambodia so she is the winner for this one. She'll go on to the semifinals. Yep. Got, got, got Encore Watt there right on the, mm-hmm. oh, right yes. on the flag. Yep, that's right. So that brings us to Tuesday when we get the contestants Matt Harvey, a healthcare administrator from Providence, Rhode Island, Crystal Zhao, a tech consultant from Bloomington, Minnesota, and Deb Bilodeau, a restaurant server from San Francisco, California. Jeopardy round categories are the 1970s. Two books in one. Actually, this is my first rodeo. Famous pairs. Avengers who said it. And 13 letter words. They got all of the two books in one in one. Some of those were some of those were tricky, I thought. I agree. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the $200 level Salem Cemetery I recognized them as Stephen King books and remembered Pet Cemetery, but I couldn't remember what the second half of Salem's was. It's Salem's lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought a room to India. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how could that point to anything? And it's a room, to, a room with a view and a passage to India, which yes. of course, after saying that, I was like, oh yeah, those are books I've heard of for sure. Yep. Yeah. And the thousand dollar level, a prayer for Garp. Matt got that. That's a prayer for Owen Meany and the world according to Garp. A prayer for Owen Meany was like the fir- one of the first like adult novels that I read as a teenager, sort of transitioning from young adult books to like mm. grown up books. And I don't think I regard it very highly now, but at the time I was like, wow, it's so deep. And then I became insufferable. <laughs> yeah i mean i could see i i have we talked about a prayer for own meaning on the podcast before I, I don't know if we have i don't know i <clears throat> i could see as a young like uh, as a you know a young teenager you know 13 14 mm-hmm. however however old you were when you started reading i think i was 14 
Yeah. Okay. I could see that at that point being like, oh yeah, man, like this book, like all the symbolism and Mm -hmm. you know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. Except for me, like I read it, we read it like my senior year of high school. It was after the AP test and it was like, you know, we had a month of school. So our teacher was like, we're going to read this book and talk about it. And for me, it's just like, it beats you over the head with the symbolism. Yeah, it really does. Like the whole thing is just like, here is a symbol. Uh-huh. And then when it comes back again later as like the, you know, the, the foreshadowing of it, the, like the narrative is like, don't you see how it's a symbol? Don't you see how this was foreshadowed? And it's like, come on, man, like a, a bit of subtlety, please. Yeah. No, there, so. there was there was not the slightest bit of subtlety, which worked great for me at that. I, th- I might have been 13, actually. I think I might have been 13. Sure. And at that age, yeah. it makes sense because like yeah. you're 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 abstract brain is developing and you're like i'm Uh making these connections and it feels really good yeah as a more sophisticated reader it's like yeah man we get it yeah thank you this Mm -hmm. absolutely bizarre thing you had happen earlier in the book of course it's going to mean something deeper later (laughs) because Mm -hmm. this is supposed to be happening in the real world yeah anyway that's a lot about owen meanie Daily Double number one is at the $1,000 level of Famous Pairs. Pick number 15, and Deb finds it. She's at 4000 with Crystal at 600 and Matt at 5000 She wagers 2300 and gets the clue, depending on whose journal you read, it was either in October or November of 1871 when they first met at Lake Tanganyika. And she can come up with one name, but not both. She says, who is Livingstone? And then she runs out of time. It's Henry Stanley. Yes, Stanley. Livingstone. Mm -hmm. Stanley and Livingstone. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Deb's at 3,500. Crystal's at 1,600. Matt is at 5,600. And the double Jeopardy categories are around the Atlantic. Layers. It's a bird. It's a plane. At the Tiny Desk Concert, those are performances from the NPR series, Sooner and Later Dude. I like Tiny Desk Concerts. Yeah. I think you can find them on YouTube or maybe maybe Vimeo. I don't know. You can find them online. It's yeah. they're through NPR, so they're publicly accessible. It's it's good. You get plenty of like indie groups and you know, smaller, less less well-known groups. But even the 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 bigger names that end up on there. I tend to really enjoy it. It tends to be really good, like high quality mm-hmm. performances and good interviews and stuff. It's not just, you know, a cheesy kind of thing. I don't know. I, I don't know how to how to word it, but it's not like overly produced and things like that. Mm-hmm. It feels more intimate. Yeah. We had throwback to a deep dive at the $800 level of Sooner. This Invisible Man author made his first appearance March 1, 1914 in Oklahoma City. And Matt got that one. That is Ellison. And you talked about him a while back. Hmm. A little bit. Right? I think so. Or was he? Yeah, yeah, you did. Pretty sure. Did I? Or did you talk about him? Ralph Waldo Ellison. Maybe. Wait, maybe I did. One of us talked about him. One of us definitely did. (laughs) It's it's getting hard to keep track of this point. (laughs) It's been so long. We're coming up on episode 200 soon. Yes, very soon. In the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yikes. Goodness gracious. Yeah. 
All right. Daily double number two is in sooner down at the $1,600 level. Pick number nine. Matt finds it. He is at 10,800. Deb's at 6,700. Crystal's at 2,800. And he bets 4,000. Gets a clue. This folk singer was born in Okama in 1912 and named for president wilson and matt gets a correct with was woody guthrie never would have guessed to put woody guthrie and woodrow wilson in the same mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> yeah realm. yeah fair and daily double number three is at the two thousand dollar level of it's a bird it's a plane pick number 19 and matt finds this one also at this point he's at sixteen thousand four hundred. deb's at 9500 crystal's at 4800 he wagers 4000 once again, and he gets the clue. During World War II, one job of the Howard DGA-15 was as a Navy Air Ambulance with this bird name that's associated with nursing. And he tries what's a stork, yeah. but, you know, I see it. A, I see it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Nightingale. Florence Nightingale is what they were looking for here. So. Easy come, easy go, I guess. He comes out even on those daily doubles. Yep. And that sets it up going into Final Jeopardy that he is catchable. Deb is at 10,700, Crystal is at 5,200, and Matt is at 16,000. Final Jeopardy category is literary characters, and the clue is a 1902 work says an enigmatic character has a half-English mom and a half-French dad, but this name of his is German for short. That's a, this is, it's a triple stumper. And I understand because that is a convoluted, like, thought process to get to. Crystal did not offer a guess. Wagered only 300, drops to 40 men 100. Deb wrote, What? Hi, mom. And <laughs> nothing. <clears throat> and Matt wrote, What is shorty? Because <laughs> I, I guess, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's incorrect. Wagered 5401, which was a cover bet. Mm-hmm. which also meant that he dropped down to 10,599. So mm-hmm. I, Deb seemed to, uh, uh, you know, uh, assuming she really thought about it and just didn't wager zero because she didn't feel confident. She made a really smart bet of zero to know that if she stays where she is, she would stay above his, his cover bet if he got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she is able to move on. The correct answer is Kurtz from Heart of Darkness. I was able to get to it's they're they're referencing Heart of Darkness, but then I couldn't quite bring the guy's name to mind in time. You got to how did you get to Heart of Darkness? Nineteen oh two. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, uh, did it just stick in your head that someone German, in Heart of Darkness Germ, German name. Yeah, nineteen oh two. I think probably got me around the right you know set of authors, and then. I think half English mom and half French dad. I was like, okay, this is like probably an English language work. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I that's know. really impressive. I've just, I'm look, I had nothing. I was like night around 1902. Uh, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I had nothing. I had nothing. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Good on you. So Wednesday, February 7th, the contestants are Taylor Claggett, marketing director, originally from Chesapeake Beach, Maryland. Lisa Streakin, a lawyer from New York, New York, and Justin White, a director of orchestra personnel from Overland Park, Kansas. And the Jeopardy round categories are U.S. National Forests, Literature Bingo, Ah, the French, What Do You Collect, Sports Professors, and The Ick. We're just really leaning into the 
millennial slash Gen Z slang. I'm, I'm telling week. you, the writers were on strike. And while they were on strike, they got all like they're they were able to get out of the office. Their brains, you know, changed a bit. They, you know, it altered the way that they're like they got out of their rut, you know, like they scrolled on TikTok for they, hours a day. They just that's <laughs> that's exactly what they did on strike. I mean, that, now, you're on a picket line. What else you got to do? You hold up the yeah. sign, you scroll TikTok, right? That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Next uh, next week, we're going to have a category about things that are chuggy. Tell me that we didn't have a category later this week about things that are chuggy. I, uh, I don't think we did. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. So the sports professors was not about actual professors. It was about people who played sports with the nickname The Professor. Like one of them. The $400 clue, brainy Italian soccer star Gianluca Il Professorino Pesotto got his nickname for wearing these, though not on the pitch. Those are eyeglasses. So his nickname is The Professor because he wore glasses. But not while he was playing. But not even while he was playing. Like, come on. Let's also how how are how are we out there? How are people out there playing a sport without vision correction? I tend not to wear my glasses when I play sports because I don't want them to get broken. Yeah, that's fair. I I probably yeah. sustain more injuries than I should. <laughs> but, but I can heal. My glasses cannot. <laughs> I'm sort of impressed that there are f- at least five sports figures nicknamed the professor. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's a good nickname. Yeah. We had a, a, a kind of a like shaking head moment the 800 level of u.s national forests uh the clue is the 1.6 million acres of arizona's kaibab national forest are divided by a natural wonder that's divided by this river uh taylor got in fast and then went to like arizona rivers in his head i'm sure and was like what's the gila river and that's incorrect and then justin got in with what's the colorado because it's like yeah it's talking about the grand canyon mm-hmm. and i could see him be like oh <laughs> yeah of course this <laughs> Things that I thought were deep when I was a teenager. The $600 level of Ah, the French. We fell for Audrey Totu after seeing her in the title role of this 2001 film about a lonely waitress who falls in love. That's Amelie. I loved Amelie. Amelie. I was so, I thought I was so cultured. Amelie. Because <laughs> you like the French thing. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I like the music from Amelie. Yeah, it's got great music. Mm-hmm. It's It's a sweet little movie. Yeah, I don't think I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. Daily double number one is in what do you collect at the thousand dollar level? Pick number 17. Justin locates it. He's at twenty two hundred. Lisa's at forty six hundred and Taylor's at four thousand. And he bets all twenty two hundred. Gets the clue. Vladimir Nabokov was an avid collector of these called babuchkas or bow ties in his native Russian. And Justin doesn't know, but he guesses what are hats. Uh, but those are butterflies, which mm-hmm. interesting to me that uh, that in Russian, you don't have a separate word for butterfly. You just call them bow ties. Hmm. Unless they wear butterflies as bow ties. I don't know. My Russian heritage is like five or six generations removed. So anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Justin is at 400. Lisa's at 6,600. Taylor's at 5,600. And we get the double Jeopardy categories. It happened in February anthropologists quoting the old testament do me a flavor tv shows by character and numerically prefixed the 400 hundred dollar level of numerically prefixed 
Longer word for the temperature scale with 100 as the boiling point of water. Justin got that. That's centigrade. My my kid was making fun of the Fahrenheit scale because freezing <laughs> point is 32 and boiling point is 212. And I recently came across a defense of Fahrenheit and what it's good for that made sense to me. And so I was able to convince him that Fahrenheit is also okay. Celsius or centigrade is great for scientific things where you're, you know, concerned about freezing point and boiling point. But Fahrenheit is great because zero is the coldest temperature it's likely to be outside if you live somewhere with a similar climate to Mr. Fahrenheit's climate. And 100 (laughs) is the hottest it's likely to be outside if you live somewhere with a similar climate to Mr. Fahrenheit's climate, which we do. Which we totally do. Yeah. That's about, that's, you know, that's about the range where I live. And so it's useful. Exactly. Fahrenheit makes a lot of sense when you're talking about the weather. Yeah. Fahrenheit makes a lot of sense when you're talking about the weather, because the difference between 65 degrees and 70 degrees Fahrenheit is like, you know what that means. You know, it's not a huge difference, but you know what it means, right? Yeah. Whereas in Celsius, that's like a one degree difference. Mm hmm. Like, right, like it's and and so if I see like it's you know it's 19 degrees Celsius as opposed to 18 degrees Celsius, I'm like okay, I can generally guess, you know. Yeah. I got a watch like a like a fitness watch for my birthday, but it's like an off brand, which it does mm. everything I want it to. Except on the watch face, it shows me the degrees in Celsius, oh, no. and I can't change it to Fahrenheit. <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> like this doesn't help me. It's the medium place. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh. Uh, they struggled with these Old Testament quotes. And uh, honestly, so did I. <laughs> yeah, they were a bit tough. The one that should have been easy was the $2,000 one, because like Gideon's trumpet is a thing that is just like said, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a, just a, a phrase. But the clue was given from Judges 6, the spirit of the Lord came upon this man and he blew a trumpet. And I was like, Jericho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the town. Joshua. Joshua. Yeah. <laughs> nope. It's not that either. Yeah. Joshua's story, I'm pretty sure, is in the book of Joshua. So. Pro- probably. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. At the $1,200 level, take us the bees, the little bees that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes. That is the little foxes. And. I'm familiar with the play title, The Little Foxes. I don't know anything about the play. It's by Lillian Hellman. So, you know, for trivia purposes, I've got most of what you need. But I didn't know that The Little Foxes was a Bible quote. I don't like entirely news to me. And I have a graduate degree in this. So sure. Yeah. Like I was like, if I'm going to guess, I would not guess foxes. (laughs) Yeah. That is not the word that I think would fit it fill in that blank. But yeah, whatever. Daily double number two is in anthropologists at the $1,600 level. Pick number two. Lisa finds it. She's got $7,800 at this point with Justin at $400 and Taylor at $5,600. She wagers $4,000 and she gets the clue. In 1927, Davidson Black identified this man as a member of the human lineage on the basis of a single tooth found in North China. And she can't come up with it. It is Peking, man. Yeah. Yeah, gotta. I don't know. There aren't a lot of those like prehistoric fossils that have been named. So yeah. I guess 
I I would say that's something you should look up before going on Jeopardy, but also it's like that seems pretty low on the tier list of like priorities. Yeah, like how often are these coming yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Daily Double number three isn't quoting the Old Testament at the $1,600 level. Pick number 16. Taylor finds this one. He's at 8,800. Justin's at 2,000. Lisa's at 11,000. He wagers 1,200 and gets the clue. The second verse of this book begins, take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel. And he gets correct with what is numbers. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Justin's at 3,600. Lisa's at 11,000. Taylor's at 15,600. The final Jeopardy category is Wonders of the Ancient World. And the clue is Achilles, Achilles Tatius wrote that it was like a mountain. At the top of this mountain rose a second sun. And this was a triple stumper. I Solidarity, friends. Uh, gotta learn, gotta learn those Wonders of the Ancient World. Gotta really commit those ones to memory ask me how i know and so justin tried what is the colossus of Rhodes? that's not correct he wagered three thousand so he dropped 600 lisa didn't come up with anything what is and a little smiley face and a nine thousand dollar wager drops her down to two thousand and taylor also tried the colossus of Rhodes and wagered 7400 which would have been a little more than a cover bet that does drop him down to 8,200, but that's enough to keep his lead and give him a spot in the semifinals. Yeah. Did you say what the correct answer was? Oh, no, I did not. <laughs> so uh, this is the lighthouse at Alexandria. That second sun is the, the fire at the top. So yep. that's what you would have needed to figure out there. Um, yes, indeed. And then we have Thursday, February 8th, when we have the contestants Suzanne Goldlust, a marketing manager from Reston, Virginia, Ed Peterson, a planning technician from Orlando, Florida, and Alex Gordon, a surgical resident originally from Summers, New York. Jeopardy round categories are a regional treasure, simple Spanish, military slang, a wild moose chase, the morning news, as in morning like sadness, and Super Bowl stars, read by James Brown. Mm-hmm. and others so topical so topical indeed the superb owl is in fact this very moment as we record they did okay with that football category they got the 200 400 600 uh, the 800 dollars though was read by jj watt and he said after leading the nfl in sacks a few times i love to see him in big games in 1986 this team had a record tying seven including ones by Richard Dent and Dan, the Danimal Hampton. Ed guessed who are the Patriots. I guess good on Ed for remembering that the Patriots were in, in the Super Bowl, whatever that was in 1986, but it was unfortunately the the winners of that game who were the Chicago Bears. Mm. Duh Bears, in fact. Yeah. Of the Super Bowl shuffle fame. If you know about the Super Bowl shuffle. I do not know about the uh, Super Bowl the shuffle. Ni- the 1985-86 Bears released a like an LP called the Super Bowl Shuffle. It's a song, yeah, performed by the Chicago Bears in 1985. It was released in December 1985. Now, you might notice that's before the Super Bowl in 1986. Yeah, they were. This was this was like the biggest, like ballsiest called shot 
of them saying, we're going to release this song and just make sure that we're going to make the Super Bowl this year and win it. Like hmm. they put in all this work to release a song called the Super Bowl Shuffle, and it was before they were even in the Super Bowl. Huh. It's not good. It's just like it's not a good song. It's just a just a, a real, real gutsy move. Wow. Hmm. Nobody got the thousand dollar level of the morning news. This British author kept two initials and a five-letter last name as N.W. Clerk to write a grief observed about his wife's death. And nobody tried it. It's C.S. Lewis, probably more popularly known for the Chronicles of Narnia, but... <laughs> then a grief, yes, <laughs> a grief observed. Probably. Uh, prob- probably, yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah, but his, like... Memoirs and like Christian nonfiction stuff are, you know, classics of spiritual writing. Yeah, they're known. They're recognized. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I like a grief observed. It's a good one. Hmm. I mean, it's a sad one, but. Right. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's bad. One of my pastor friends has talked about a grief observed as an interesting pairing with an earlier C.S. Lewis book called The Problem of Pain, which was mm-hmm. like like a Christian theological work about like, you know, why is there suffering in the world, which is, in my opinion, and, and you know, that of, that of some other folks I've talked to, deeply unsatisfying in that he engages with the problem of suffering as like, in like a very academic way. Yeah. Very like removed and clinical. Yeah. Very detached. And so like, you know, there's sort of an interesting progression from like, you know, well, there must be suffering in the world because blah, 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 like, you know, theological abstraction. And then like his own like memoir of grief, you know, I'm not, I'm not glad that he went through it, but you know, Sometimes going through things gives people more empathy and nuance. And it certainly seems like that was true for him. Sure. All right. Daily Double number one is in simple Spanish at the $800 level. Alex finds it right after the break. Pick number 16. He's got 3,400. Ed is at zero. Suzanne's at 3,200. Right behind Alex. And Alex wagers 2000 and gets the clue in spanish it means loud in music it describes some female parts in choruses and he gets it correct with alto uh so at the end of the jeopardy round uh alex is at 6000 ed's at 1400 suzanne's at 4600 we have the double jeopardy categories thinking about the roman empire sounds like a horror movie but isn't medical specialties Pastor Brown's church newsletter crossword. Tell, tell first, us about that, I, Pastor Brown. You know, I keep thinking that somebody in the writing room listens to our podcast and then being like, nah, I'm just reading too much into things. I, I don't know what to make of this category title if it's not yeah, for but me then this specifically. Happens, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, if anybody has any alternate take on what this category title is about, please, by all means, enlighten me. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, my jaw dropped. And then I started Googling to see if it was like a reference to like some other 
thing, you know, like what's going on here? No, no. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, that's the fourth of our six categories. Same first and last letter and end of story. My, my, my Roman empire is the idea that the Jeopardy writers listen to our podcast. <laughs> I, I remember when that was like the thing going around and my and my it's wife was like, around. I, well, I, <laughs> I know it is. Sure. Yeah. But it started being a thing. And my wife was like, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And I was like, rarely, like when it comes up for trivia, I guess. I don't know what my, you know, what my Roman Empire is. It's being angry that I have to have the same conversations again and again and again with people who are who I'm responsible for and I love very much and I just need them to learn and I'm talking about my kids that's my roman empire mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. how much I have to have the same exact exact gentle parenting talk again and again and again mm-hmm. or not so gentle yeah I wasn't sure we were heading toward your kids when you started that. And I'm like, your Roman Empire is how often people ask you about the Roman Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Pastor Brown's church newsletter crossword, $400 level, Eucharist spread four letters. And got that one. That is host. Um, (laughs) Ken quips, the host is correct, as he always is. A, that's very funny. B, vaguely sacrilegious in that, like, you know, host, like references like jesus right we've got a are you saying that jesus is wrong uh, no i'm i'm saying ken isn't jesus i don't Um, think ken was even implying that yeah he was Um, very clearly saying that jesus is always right yeah but the term like host for for communion bread is that's used only in like fairly high church tradition. So like Roman Catholic, maybe Episcopal, possibly Lutheran, but I don't think so. So I'm Pastor Brown doesn't necessarily mean me in the category title, but But you wouldn't call it that? I wouldn't call it that. But also churches that call it the host generally don't call their clergy the pastor. Hmm. Right? Clearly. It's, clearly it's like the writers priest. need need to consult you about this. First. Yeah, <laughs> clearly the writers need Jesus. Yeah, no, they should. <laughs> no, they, they, I would, I would happily consult with the writers about church terminology. Good on Ed for coming up with a response, although it was incorrect at the $2,000 level, an arm of a cruciform shaped church, eight letters. Ed guesses what is narthex, which is not really an arm and not eight letters, but mm-hmm. It is a very churchy word. It is. But, super yeah. Churchy. The narthex is like the like the entrance area, which in a cruciform church, that would be like the foot of the cross. Transept is what they were looking for there. Mm-hmm. All right. Daily double number two is in medical specialties at the $1,600 level. Alex finds this one as well. He's at 9200 out ahead of Ed, who's at 3,000, Suzanne is at, at uh, 5,400, and he bets it all. That's it all. This is only wow. pick number five. Big move here. Mm-hmm. 
gets a clue from Greek and Latin for new birth, this type of doctor specializes in the care of newborns and premature babies. And he gets it correct with what is a neonatologist. As a reminder, he is a surgical resident. So <laughs> I think this is a great time for him to. For him. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling good about that find. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in thinking about the Roman Empire. Pick number 26 is at the $1,600 level, and Suzanne finds this one. She's at 11800 with Alex at 26000 and Ed at 3000 She wagers 2500 Should have gone bigger here, given Alex's mm-hmm. lead. You really want to make a bigger move to get into contention. Right. Um, she gets the clue. After the Great Fire of 64 AD, this emperor built himself a palace with an artificial lake and revolving dining room. And she gets it correct. It is Nero. Yeah. Uh, so going into Final Jeopardy, Suzanne is able to climb herself up herself up into like striking distance. Alex is at 26,000. Suzanne is at 16,300. And that is at 1,000. Final Jeopardy category is country music. And boy, was this a fun one. Uh, the clue is, it was kind of a prodding to myself to play it straight, said Johnny Cash, of this 1956 hit. Ed wrote, what is Walk the Line? That was ruled incorrect, and he wagered 407. Suzanne also wrote, what is Walk the Line? That was also ruled incorrect, wagered 4,000. Alex wrote, what is Walk the Line? Wagered 7,000, was ruled incorrect. The title of the song is I Walk the Line. Which I saw, you know, there's there's hubbub about it. I think that the ruling is correct. I, I think, think the ruling the, is correct. Yeah. I think the question should not have been asked. Yep. Strong I agree. Think, I, yeah. This this is a this is a poor choice of of question when you have to know Johnny Cash particularly well enough to know that I Walk the Line is the title of the song, despite the biopic starring Joaquin Phoenix being called walk the line. Uh huh. Like for, for most people who approach trivia, we would think walk the line. Why else would the movie be called that? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. I I think indicated by the fact that all three players knew exactly what the right answer was, except for including the, the single letter before. I think that indicates that it, it was not really a good question to use. Yeah, there. I mean, I can. I think there are a. There's a handful of things where there's like the trivia fact is like, well, actually, the thing mm-hmm. that it's popularly called isn't the real title. And did you know? But I think for that to be what the question is really about, I don't know. Like it needs to be a little bit better known than this, right? Like clearly, these are all solid trivia people with solid trivia credentials who all made the same mistake. So, so yeah, I think, I think this was not the right question for final jeopardy. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But the difficulty with it did not affect the outcome. Like the ruling did not affect the outcome. Right. Cause they all answered the same thing. Uh, Alex made a cover bet. So he still ended up winning either way, whether they were all ruled correct or all ruled incorrect. He still ended up winning. So yeah, at least it didn't affect that. Yes. 
Definitely. So that brings us to Friday. We have the contestants, Patrick Curran, a consultant from Washington, D.C., Jesse Matheny, a customer success specialist originally from Huntington, Indiana, and Emma Hill-Kepron, a librarian from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And the Jeopardy round categories are world leader birthplaces, ends in X, numerical television, classic toys and games, poetry, and SEC and the city. Ken must have said SEC, right? I think I so. Assume. I think he did. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the joke doesn't quite work unless you say like pronounce it sec instead of spelling it out but like who does that yeah i think i think it's yeah i think i think he just said sec yeah i feel so bad for emma for the 800 dollar uh level of ends in x there was a, a reversal there the little hat worn by french words like Hotel and hôpital is called this. And she said, what's a circumflex? Which is French for circumflex. But the French word circumflex ends in E. So they initially, Ken initially took it, but then they had to reverse it because it's an ends in X category. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Technically the right ruling, but again, just like, oh, that feels bad. That feels bad. Mm Mm-hmm funny well kind of funny be more specific at the 400 dollars level his dad was the prime minister when he was born in ottawa in 1971 oh of, of 400 dollars level of world leader birthplaces patrick ran and said who's trudeau and like <laughs> ken's like yeah more specifically please <laughs> like yes we're talking about a father and son so probably they have the same last name yeah uh, he got it with Justin and of course had to had to poke fun at Emma because anytime we have a Canadian on, we got to make fun of the Canadian, I guess. So here here's the thing. The Americans are not being held personally responsible by Ken Jennings for knowing all the stuff about America. Right. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that would be that would get so tiring if every single time he's like. You somebody Americans. Misses, uh, yeah, somebody misses a, a question about, like, you know, the Battle of Antietam, and he turns to the, like, you know, the, like, Los Angeles at PR, like, marketing person. is like, I thought you were from the United States. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, they, I, I hadn't thought about it until I said it, but I'm like, that is kind of a double standard. Like, this has to do with your country. Why don't you, A, know it, and B, ring in before everybody Sooner else. than everyone else. Yeah. Apparently, $600 level of classic toys and games. In 2016, this game introduced a new suspect, Dr. Orchid, the daughter of the mansion's owner. What? Clue. How can you do that? How can you introduce a new suspect? Yeah, there was that... no pink. There was no pink character, right? I guess. It was a problem that there wasn't a pink character. A problem for who? A problem for my daughter at the very least i will tell you that much i just don't but that throws off all the math you 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 have you have a set number of suspects and a set number of weapons and a set number of places and you think you the way you determine what to uh absurd hasbro or whatever company makes it ridiculous Mm -hmm. so Um, i assume dr orchid got married because if she kept her maiden name it would be body because isn't Mr. Body the owner of the mansion? Oh. Pretty sure. I guess. Pretty sure. 
pretty sure. Anyway, mm. I'm yeah. getting way too worked up about this. Do you know that Clue is called Cluedo in Every, other places? I do. Yes. I know that from from Sporkle because every time it showed up on Sporkle and it was called Cluedo, I was like, why is it called that? And so I looked it up. Female characters were there originally. There was it was was pretty even, right? Yeah, it was it was three and three. Pretty sure it was Mrs. Mrs. Peacock, Miss Scarlet and Miss White. And then there was Professor Plum, Colonel Mustard and Mr. Green. Yeah. All right. So the woke mob had to come and give it a female majority. Uh, had to really smash the patriarchy here. Um, Unless I'm forgetting another character, which I yeah, might be. No, no, you're not. I'm looking at Wikipedia. I don't know. I don't know why they needed to introduce Dr. Orchid, except for we needed a pink one. <laughs> yeah. I really am not that worked up about it. Yeah. It's just the interesting to me. balance in... In Guess Who, or at least the original Guess Who, is mm-hmm. so severe that the, the strategically <laughs> optimal question, I think, for starting Guess Who is, does your character have, does your person have facial hair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, that is the old version, I will say. The new mm-hmm. version is much more balanced. Oh, good. Have you seen any videos of people playing subjective Guess Who? No, but that sounds it's hilarious. It's so funny. It's like... You know, does your character bring their own bags to the grocery store? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, have they ever eaten a pot brownie? Like, do they want you to join a pyramid scheme? Um, that would be really hard to play with so my daughters. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's always it's. I've only I've only seen grownups playing it. I, I would like to watch a video of kids playing subjective. Guess who? That would be but fun. Yeah. I, yeah. All right, Daily Double number one is classic toys and games at the $400 level. Pick number 23, Patrick finds it. He's at 6200 at this point. M is at $1,400. Jesse's at 4000 He wagers 4000 Gets a clue. This toy with a sister named Yam was the first toy advertised on TV back in 1952. And he gets correct with what is Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, the um, canon of classic toys and games, of which I was not aware, is extensive. Mm-hmm sister named yam yes if i recall was wasn't it originally just a bunch of stuff with like pins on it that you're supposed to stick the, into a potato stick into a potato yeah an actual the, potato yeah the point was you have your own potatoes here's stuff to make it fun anyway Isn't it wild that there's more than one like classic toy that was like a provide your own potato thing right like because there's the potato guns also right like where you like yeah yeah different functions though, I would say. <laughs> yeah, different but- different results anyway at the end of the jeopardy <laughs> round patrick's way out in the lead at eleven thousand. jesse's at 4600 emma's at 1600 double jeopardy categories are 21st century science blank of blank american history let's have a word same title different lyrics and add a letter geography edition two responses for each clue well, that's why Antietam came to mind. It's because they asked about it in the Clara Barton question. Mm. It's like, why is that the thing that I produced for like a question about the United States? It's because it came up on Friday. That's why. Yeah. 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 Patrick knew it. The clue is Clara Barton served as a nurse at the September 17th, 1862 Maryland battle where nurses were badly needed. I would argue nurses were badly needed at every battle, but Antietam is, was the bloodiest battle which mm-hmm. I think is the, the point they were making. Yeah. I That reminds me of something that is not really Jeopardy 
relevant, but like a thought process I've been having, which is I'm remembering I was a when I was a kid, I had a book about like, like women in the Civil War. So nurses, there were some female spies, like, I don't know, there was some, uh, there, there was a section about like Harriet Tubman. And like, there was some little like aside, like, you know, a little like inset, like box about like, medical practices. And, you know, it was like, oh, you know, it was very primitive. And they thought that it was good to keep wounds wet, so they would heal better, you know, unlike modern times where we understand the science. And like, since we were kids, they've found out that moist wound healing is actually better. <laughs> and, it's, uh, it's always fun yeah. when it's like, now that we know better, except we don't know better. Uh-huh. But we've definitely yeah. figured we've definitely figured everything out now. Yep. This exact moment in time, we got it all right. The hubris of always thinking that we've reached the pinnacle of human learning mm-hmm. is so funny to me. Right. We've just gotten where we are, right? We still have much farther to go. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Daily double number two is pick number seven at the $1,600 level of blank of blank. And Jesse finds it. He's at 10,200 with Emma at negative 400 and Patrick at 9,400. Jesse wagers 4,000 and gets the clue a member of the House of Lords. Arthur Charles Valerian Wellesley holds the title ninth this. And Jesse gets it correct with the Duke of Wellington. Ken says a wild guess is always better than nothing. Was Jesse like he, he it seemed like he was guessing. Yeah. For sure. I yeah, I'm I didn't get to watch this game. So. Which the only thing that looking back on it that would have brought me there is Wellesley is kind of like Wellington. But I'm yeah. like, I have, I have no idea. Like, there's so many dukes of wherever, and you yeah. know, lords of wherever, and barons of wherever. I'm like, that was a that was an impressive shot in the dark. If it was in fact a shot in the yeah. dark, seriously. I like sometimes when I'm when I'm when I'm reviewing games. You know, even if I don't get to watch them, I'll try and like come up with my guess for daily doubles before like clicking to like reveal the response. And I was like, the Earl of Sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, th- very impressive. Yeah, or Lord of lucky poppycock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Daily double number three is over, and let's have a word at the two thousand dollar level. Pick number sixteen. Patrick finds this one. He is at twelve thousand two hundred. Emma's back at twenty four hundred, but Jesse's up to six sixteen thousand six hundred, and Patrick wagers six thousand. Gets a clue, an armored glove or a double file of armed men you'd rather not have to, quote unquote, run. And Patrick gets it correct with what is a gauntlet. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Emma's at 6,800. Jesse's at 17,800. Patrick is in the lead with 22,200. The category for Final Jeopardy is novel characters. And the clue is it's this character who's spoken of in the line, reader, I forgave him at the moment and on the spot. Emma gets it correct with who is Rochester. She has Jane Eyre crossed out. Jane Eyre is speaking. Jane Eyre is the title of the work. But Rochester is the character spoken of. She's wagered 67.93. All but seven bucks. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that brings her up to 13,593. Jesse tries who is Pilgrim, thinking of the Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, I guess, yeah. Pilgrim's Progress is much earlier than this style of writing. I was going to say, I don't know that the Pilgrim's Progress ever addresses the reader. Yeah, absolutely not. I don't, well, no, maybe, 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 I don't know. Maybe, I mean, the whole thing is didactic, but I, I don't, like, I think it's all kind of third person narrative. I don't think that it ever, you know, I don't know, breaks the fourth wall or whatever in that way. Jesse wagered 4,100, I think looking to stay above Emma, if Emma should double up, which she almost did. So Jesse drops down to 13,700. Note that although Emma held $7 back, she could not have gotten up to 13,700. Right. I <laughs> I bring it up because as somebody who like lost to somebody who made a cover bet, people will sometimes be like, oh, if you just wagered a little more. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> let's go find a whiteboard. Like if I mm-hmm. wagered a little more, then what, Susan? Like, <laughs> math it out for me. Uh, anyway, um, Patrick tried who is Mr. Darcy? Not a bad guess. Although the fact that the quote is written in the first person and addressing the reader would point the discerning reader of classic novels away from Pride and Prejudice. But... Mr. Darcy, solid guess, uh, $13,401 wager, uh, so that drops Patrick down to $87.99 out of the running, and Jesse wins this one and is heading to the semifinals. All right, well, that's the week, and this is the break in the middle of the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can head there to help us with the costs of the podcast. Give us a couple bucks a month. And people who do that get access to whatever exclusive content we have there, which is not a lot, but we do put the quiz questions up usually. (laughs) Sometimes we do. (laughs) Sometimes we do. I might. I'll try. (laughs) There's only one way to find out. Become a patron. Yes. This is a super compelling case for subscribing to our Patreon. Real good Um, sell. Yeah. But I mean, in this in this media climate, who doesn't want to support a scrappy little podcast? That's right. An underdog, if you yeah. will. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of things that you could support, there are there are plenty of places that are doing actually important things, not just recapping Jeopardy episodes or Jeppisodes as I sometimes call them. Uh, you can find <laughs> you can find some of the some of the things that we think are more important than our podcast in our show notes. Yeah. So, Kyle, what is the deep dive about this week? Gosh, there were so many options. There really were. And I feel like I have to go with like the low-hanging fruit of Final Jeopardy. So, are you talking about the Lighthouse of Alexandria? I sure am. Yay! I got, got it. One. Good job. Yay. There yeah. was like Heart of Darkness in there, and I was like, "You're not talking about Heart of Darkness, no." Because no, I don't want to. Good, me neither. <laughs> I thought it might be fun to do Nightingale because then it would be two deep dives in a row on 
people with helicopters named after them. (laughs) (laughs) And we could just have a theme, right? We just, from now on, just Uh helicopters. Just helicopters. The ASL for a helicopter is really fun. You, like, make a thumbs up with your left hand, and then you spread out the fingers of your right hand and, like, put your palm, like, on your thumb and then, like, kind of waggle your right hand back and forth (laughs) to, like, yeah. It's fun. I like that. Yeah. I'm bringing that up because clearly I've talked about the etymology of helicopters too much, so I needed to, (laughs) to share a new fact. All right, but we are talking today about the lighthouse at Alexandria, or lighthouse of Alexandria. Of, at, of. It's my deep dive, I should it's know. It's both. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so the lighthouse of Alexandria. Um, this is a shortish deep dive, Kyle, because, you know, I'm dealing with a baby situation. It's helping well, with a baby. Um, right, also, it was destroyed in antiquity, so there's really not yeah. probably a whole lot about it. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) All right. So the Lighthouse of Alexandria, it was built by the Ptolemaic Kingdom of Ancient Egypt during the reign of Ptolemy II Philadelphus, uh, who reigned from 280 to 247 BC. It's the third longest surviving ancient wonder after the mausoleum at Halicarnassus and the Great Pyramid of Giza. Uh, It survived in part until 1480. So... Not actually oh. destroyed in antiquity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, never mind. Uh, yeah. And it's estimated to have been at least 330 feet or 100 meters tall overall. So you may know that it is known as Pharos. And I had assumed up until I researched it that it was called Pharos because that was the word for lighthouse. Not so. Pharos was a small island located on the western edge of the Nile Delta. In 332 BC, Alexander the Great founded the city of Alexandria on an isthmus opposite Pharos. Uh, Alexandria and Pharos were later connected by a mole, which is like a stone pier breakwater kind of structure. Why is it different from a pier? It's because water cannot pass underneath it. It's built like down to the ground. This structure was about three quarters of a mile long and called the Heptastadion because it was seven stadia in length. <laughs> um, uh, so Pharos was the name of the place. The etymology of the place name is uncertain, but that they built the lighthouse on it. And then the word Pharos came to mean lighthouse. So it was constructed in the third century BC after Alexander the Great died. The first Ptolemy, Ptolemy I Soter, which means like savior, declared himself king in 305 BC and commissioned its construction shortly thereafter. The building was finished during the reign of his son, Ptolemy II Philadelphus, took about 12 years to complete, and it cost about 800 talents of silver, which is a huge amount of silver, about 23 tons of silver. Yeah. It cost almost twice as much as the cost of constructing the Parthenon. Wow. Yeah, that was 400 and change. Legend has it that the that there were wreckers on the island of Pharaohs, people who made their living by kind of salvaging wrecked ships, and that Ptolemy had the lighthouse built to help guide ships into port at night. Reading 
between the lines, it seems like maybe <laughs> there was <laughs> there was legend or rumor that the, the people of the island of Ferris were like luring ships to their doom. I don't know. Potentially, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, like, arguably, also, like, you know, if you're if you're living in a place where shipwrecks are are super common, then you know, making your living by sal- salvaging seems reasonable and not necessarily like nefarious but probably building a lighthouse is better the light was produced by a furnace at the top the tower was said to have been built mostly with solid blocks of limestone and granite uh sostratus of cnidus is said to be the architect in several ancient texts although the historicity of that claim is disputed there are descriptions of the lighthouse in several arabic texts which are consistent despite the fact that it was damaged and repaired several times and the given heights in those texts are all within about 15 percent of each other there their descriptions range from the equivalent of 338 to 387 feet so you know given sort of multiple sources giving comparable heights that that sort of lends credence to the claim that it was you know over 300 feet And it's said to have had about a 98 by 98 foot square base. Uh, The tower was made up of three tapering tiers. There was a lower square section with a central core, a middle octagonal section, and a circular section at the top. There's a 10th century text uh, where Al-Masudi writes that the seaward facing side had an inscription dedicated to Zeus. At the apex was a mirror which reflected sunlight during the day. And a fire was lit at night. Roman coins from the Alexandrian mint show that a statue of Triton was positioned on each of the building's four corners. And a statue of Poseidon or Zeus was at the top. The fullest description that we have comes from Arab traveler Abu Hagag Yusuf ibn Muhammad al-Balawi al-Andalusi, who visited in 1166 A.D., and provided description and measurement of the interior of the of the lighthouse. He described an inner ramp that was designed to allow two horsemen to pass each other. It went up in clockwise rotation with four stories with respectively 18, 14, and 17 rooms on the second, third, and fourth floors. I'm not totally sure how that worked, but... That's what it says. The lighthouse was partially cracked and damaged by earthquakes in 796 and 951. And then there was a structural collapse in the earthquake of 956. And then again in 1303 and 1323. Repairs after the 956 earthquake include the installment of an Islamic style dome after the collapse of the statue that previously topped the monument. The remnant of the lighthouse disappeared in 1480 when the then Sultan of Egypt, Kite Bay, Kite Bay, something like that, built a medieval fort on the larger platform of the lighthouse site using some of the fallen stone. But it stood for, I mean, almost more than 1500 years, so almost 2000, I think. Am I doing my math right? Yeah. Close to 2000. Yeah. Yeah. In 1968, the lighthouse was rediscovered. Uh, UNESCO sponsored an expedition to send a team of marine archaeologists led by Honor Frost to the site. She confirmed the existence of ruins representing part of the lighthouse. And then the exploration was put on hold because the area became a military zone. And also there was a lack of specialized archaeologists who could work on the project. And then 
1994, a team of French archaeologists led by Jean-Yves Apereur rediscovered the physical remains of the lighthouse on the floor of Alexandria's Eastern Harbor. He worked with cinematographer Asma al-Bakri, who captured the first underwater pictures of the scattered remains of collapsed columns and statues. Emperor found blocks of granite, 49 to 60 tons in mass, often broken into multiple pieces, 30 sphinxes, five obelisks, and columns with carvings dated, dating back to Ramses II. Hmm. Yeah. I don't totally know how that squares with like that's that pre-exists the lighthouse i so, think so yeah 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 so I, I i don't quite understand sort of how how things fit together historically there but the cataloging of over 3300 pieces was completed by emperor and his team at the end of 1995 36 pieces of the granite blocks and other discoveries have been restored and are currently on display in Alexandria Museums, and satellite imaging has revealed further remains uh, underwater. The Secretariat of the UNESCO Convention on the Protection of the Underwater Cultural Heritage is currently working with the Egyptian government on an initiative to add the Bay of Alexandria, including the lighthouse remains, to a list of submerged cultural sites. There have been proposals to replace the lighthouse over the years. In 2015, the the Egyptian government and the Alexandria government suggested building a skyscraper on the site of the lighthouse as part of the regeneration of the eastern harbor of Alexandria Port. The lighthouse remains a civic symbol of the city of Alexandria, and it's inspired various other buildings and landmarks around the world. The George Washington masonic national memorial is in alexandria virginia virginia Mm -hmm. i was working fast there yeah if you look that up not the washington monument but the the george washington masonic national memorial is inspired by the lighthouse of alexandria also the pharos lighthouse is the park icon and centerpiece of the Universal Islands of Adventure theme park at Mm. the Universal Orlando Resort. It's in the kind of the center like entrance port of, I can't remember what they call that, that section of the park, but it's like, you know, the symbol of the park and there's a, there's a structure there, you know, there are various other structures inspired by the lighthouse of Alexandria, but those were a couple that kind of stood out to me as I was to get some of those. And sure. hey, that's what I've got about the lighthouse oh. of Alexandria. Okay. Yeah. That I I knew it was a lighthouse. And yeah. it was in Alexandria. So I was I was astounded was to find out that Pharos was the name of a place. I was too. I was like, oh yeah, uh, clearly Pharos is just a fancy word for lighthouse that I need to yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, that's they. I, I mean, were there lighthouses before that? Maybe not to that extent, or you know, it it was such an iconic lighthouse that they had to like, you know, name lighthouses after the place. <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for a quiz? I'm always ready for a quiz. All right. Well, first of all, you're starting with ten points, and second of all, this is maybe a little bit of a cop out, but I have written a quiz related to this topic before and we did i don't know three and a half years ago you scored 78 points and i thought i would just bring it back 
I don't Ooh. think I, I think Ooh. pre-exists it pre-exists the Patreon. So okay. even what? like, you know, it'll be new content on there. Yeah. So this was I did it like a like a Wonders of the Ancient World quiz mm-hmm. okay. way back when. And I was like, you know what? Why reinvent the wheel or the lighthouse? So question number one. One ancient wonder still stands and five are in ruins, but the seven may not have existed at all. Which wonder's historicity is disputed? If I recall correctly, I believe that's the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. You recall correctly, and you got that correct last time also. Okay. You are at 20 points now because you correctly guessed the topic of the deep dive. Question two. Oh, man, I got to beat 78. Okay. (laughs) Ephesus, where the Temple of Artemis was located, is the namesake of the biblical book of Ephesians, an epistle from St. Paul to the Christians of Ephesus. What other biblical book contains an account of a near riot in Ephesus? when artisans who make shrines of Artemis become incensed that the spread of Christianity is threatening their business. Did I, did I get this right last time? You did. <laughs> okay. Cause I, I'm thinking like the only book I can think of where there's a story of actual happenings is acts. So I'm going to go with is, acts. Yeah. Acts is correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't think I have more to say about that. Maybe I did at the time. (laughs) This time I do not. All right. Question three. You missed this one last time. Oh, shit. Pressure's on. The statue of Zeus at Olympia was a chryselephantine sculpture, which is to say that its exterior plates and panels were made of what two materials? Oh, I think I might actually remember having learned from this or from something else. So... Chris Elephantine. At least Elephantine makes me think ivory. So I'm going to say ivory is one. Mm-hmm. And if I recall, I know that I learned this in recent years, but Chris or Chryso or whatever in Greek refers to gold. So I'm going to say gold. Gold and ivory are correct. Yes. Yay. I have learned. You learned something. <laughs> All right, you're at 40 points. This is going great. I'm really glad that I did this. Uh, The Colossus of Rhodes is said to have stood about 108 feet tall. A modern statue, a new Colossus, perhaps, is modeled on the Rhodes original and intentionally built to the same scale. Where can the statue be found? I mean, how specific do you want to be? Because I would say it's Liberty Island. Oh, so specific. Great job. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I, I would have taken New, New I would, York. I would have accepted New York. Yes, but Liberty Island is 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 a, a great answer. Of course, we're talking about the Statue of Liberty. The the Lazarus poem is titled "The New Colossus," and I think it's really cool that it was built to be the same size that the Colossus of Rhodes is said to have been. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Yeah. All right, fifty points. Question five. The Lighthouse of Alexandria is featured in numerous video games. I will give you three points for every video game you can name that includes it. If you get to if you get to four, then we'll we'll do a full ten points. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well now I'm are you including like 
franchises because like i know civilization oh yeah each franchise only counts once you can't be like sip sip one sip two sip three sip four sip five sip Uh six give me give me 18 points okay all right (laughs) so So you already said civilization and i'm pretty sure that was uh you know that's a you weren't you weren't just you weren't just spitballing you know that it's in civilization yes i have built it many times in civilization all right so we've got civilization you're at three points okay I am trying to think of ones that specifically fit. Man, how many did I get last time? I, I want to say, well... You got three last time. I got three last time. How many guesses are you giving me? Let's. We can go up to five guesses. Okay. So you, you've got, you can get full points even if you get one wrong. Okay, I got I, I to gotta think at this point that there is it has shown up somewhere in Assassin's Creed. It has, yes. Okay. Assassin's Creed Origins. Origins, right. It's set in Egypt. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking, but I wasn't sure. I haven't played that one yet. Okay, so I've got Assassin's Creed. I've got Civilization. Let's see. Does it show up in... I got three? Man, now I don't even... Uh. Okay, Age of Empires? Does it... Oh, is it in Age of Empires? Hold on a second. I have, I have to I have no check idea. that one. I think it doesn't have the lighthouse of Alexandria okay. itself, but there's like something kind of vaguely inspired by it. So sure. There's like, I'm seeing like, you know, depending on whether you count the lighthouse of Alexandria, like this is the number of wonders of the ancient world that, yeah. are, um, that are there. So I have two. I have yep. civilization, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. I'm going to say Rome Total War. Yes, Total oh, War, nice. Rome 2, nice. Okay, those are probably the three I got last time, too. They are, yeah. Uh, oh, damn it, I don't remember the fourth one. Let's see, and I've done four guesses. There are oh, some there others. Are more. Yeah, oh, there are okay, more. Okay. Yeah, um, I have one, two, three, four, five, six-ish. Man, and if they're all, I don't know, if they're all like mobile games, there's no way I would know that. They may uh, be, yeah. I, but, I'm not super video. There's there's one you've definitely, definitely heard of. Okay. I mean, you're so emphatically, pretty sure it's not Stardew Valley. No, uh, I'm pretty sure it's not... It's not Hades, although he does. I mean, it is Greek. Let's go with. I don't know if they even have like ancient wonders in this game. I don't know. Crusader Kings. Oh, is there is there the lighthouse of Alexandria? I don't have that on my list. Probably not. But, but yeah, I don't. I, I don't have it on my list. So I think I'm gonna say no. Okay. What is it? All right. So. SimCity. Oh my god, I was thinking it wouldn't be in SimCity. SimCity uh-huh. wouldn't have that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't remember now what's going on with the Lighthouse of Alexandria in SimCity. In SimCity? I'm not easily finding it, like, more information about it now. But, oh yeah, no, I, I've seen, I see screenshots. It is a thing in SimCity. Let's see what else. Forge of Empires we mentioned. And then the city building series. Okay. Is that, is that, 
And the titles here, Pharaoh, Cleopatra, and Children of the Nile. I don't know what those are. Um, yeah, I don't know those either. Yeah. All right, cool. Sure. So, and your your wrong guess last time we did this was Europa Universalis. Okay, um, yeah. That's another yeah. kind of Civ-ish game. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you're at 59 points, though. So... So you're in you're in better shape than last time, and the final category is modern architects. I will bet twenty points. All right, for seventy nine points, if you're correct, which you will be, the Great Pyramid of Giza is said to be designed by Pharaoh Khufu's vizier Hemunu. In the courtyard of the Louvre, a large glass pyramid surrounded by three smaller glass pyramids was built, completed in 1989. What Chinese-American architect designed these controversial structures? I believe that was I.M. Pei. Indeed, it was I.M. Pei. And you got that correct last time. You, nice. You'd accrued 39 points and doubled up to 78. Today, you finished with 79. That's right. Old me. Yeah. I beat you. Kicked your butt, uh-huh. old me. I know yeah. so much more now. Yep. So, hey. We're learning things. We're learning things. You know what? I think we should just start from now on just reusing old quizzes. This was great. <laughs> this was awesome. Was, this was this this was fun. I I, I sort of am afraid of you re- reusing old quizzes now because I fear that I've learned nothing, but I probably have learned some things. I bet you have. I bet I, I have. Yeah. I mean, if I've learned anything, I'm sure you have. Yeah, I bet I have. All right. Well, we've all learned things today. And hopefully, listeners, you've learned something, too. So thanks for learning with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash potables. And the best way that we can get new listeners is by all you nerds telling your nerd friends about our nerdy podcast. All you nerds can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. Nerds. That's right. <laughs> Should I not publish a service of nerds? I no, that's is, good. It's a, nerds. It's a ner- <laughs> uh, all right. We'll be back next week with more Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.